Hi, everyone. It's been a while since you've heard from us here at What Have We Done, a winecast for the amateur enthusiast. Uh, Dana and I have actually had to take a step back from this podcast for a while, which we're going to talk about more in the coming episode. But we're really excited to be able to bring you some new content in the coming weeks. This current episode was actually recorded in April of this year, uh, but we're just able to release it now. So with that said, enjoy the episode and we'll talk to you soon. Welcome to our episode this week in What Have We Done? A Winecast for Amateur Enthusiasts. Yeah, and we're really excited to talk to you this week about wine and food pairings, which is a relatively, I don't know, I guess, pretty common topic in the wine world, um, but one that we're going to kind of go down some interesting avenues and, and just talk about kind of what, what it is, what you know, what different preferences are, what different styles are, and kind of why certain people say certain things about it, even though anyone can say anything they want about it, because it's totally subjective. Yes. Um, and actually reading up for this episode, maybe think about either those moments of like complete flops when I'm like, oh, I really want this wine and I just happen to have this food and how like, you know, like they're the the jive didn't work. <laughs> then now I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> or the opposite when like just by serendipity, um, things kind of just aligned. And so having this background knowledge is, you know what, even though it's subjective, I like, I don't know, it feels like learning how to mix spices properly in a kitchen. Like mm-hmm. it's just nice to have like a basic understanding of flavor profiles. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And I wouldn't say like every day, but certainly when it comes to like kind of nicer meals out of the norm, I'll be honest, I definitely pick the meal based on the wine I want to drink. Um, and that's kind of been a fun being comfortable enough with knowing what I like around like food and wine pairings, being able to kind of work backwards and rather just try to find a wine that matches what we're having for dinner, like specifically design dinners based on the wine I have on hand. Um, and right now I'm living in a pretty small apartment. I don't really have a lot of like wine uh, in stock. So it's kind of hard for me to like impromptu magically have the right wine for what we're going to cook. So definitely it's been helpful to uh, really tailor kind of our food, like cuisine choices throughout the week and stuff based on um, the different wines we have in stock. Cause I don't have a wine cellar here. <laughs> the dream. Yeah, no, definitely. I think mostly as the summer approaches, which I'm really excited about, it will be an opportunity to sit on patios and go out for dinner. And I'm excited to kind of go back into matching or pairing wines with food because there'll just be more opportunities to try things beyond my own humble attempts (laughs) of cooking, which definitely, uh, in the winter months stay pretty consistent. Um, so yeah, let, why don't we start with the history? What do you, what would you like to share about it? Yeah, sure. So I, I kind of went down this little bit of a, a rabbit hole, um, just kind of seeing what kind of angle I want to talk about food and wine pairings with for this episode. And one of the things that was immediately kind of interesting to me was, um, earlier mentions of like food and wine pairings and kind of some of the earliest things that we have in like the, at least the Western like written record around like, um, I don't know, just the way people were documenting um, the way that wine interacted with food over, over time. And I'll start with one of the earliest uh, written mentions of food and wine kind of being paired together um, in a medieval poem called the Regimen Sanitatis Salinitanum. It is in Latin. I don't, I don't speak Latin. Um, that was thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, anyways, it's this medieval poem that um, talks about, which is, is kind of common. The earliest mentions of food and wine together are very much around uh, like medical practice and how different wine and food interact together um, in like 
yeah, medical practice and like daily hygienic procedures and overall like diet, as well as like therapeutic uses of wine. Um, and the early regimen um, was organized by the six non-naturals. So air, food and drink, sleeping and walking, motion and rest, excretions and retentions and dreams and the passions of the soul. Um, and there's a couple of really like choice quotes I found from this that were just kind of funny and interesting to think about how like food and wine was thought about together in some of these earlier texts. And the first one is fresh eggs, red wines, and rich gravies are recommended since they are nutritious in nature. Just a very nice blanket statement. Another one I really liked was if you eat pork without wine, it is worse than mutton. If you add wine to pork, then it is food and medicine. Hmm. Um, yeah. So very interesting kind of uh, what these different combinations do again in terms of like a, a kind of nutritious, like physical health system. And then my, my personal favorite was, um, and again, this is written in like a, a poetic form, right? Add a drink of wine to your pear and the nut is medicine against poison. A pear tree produces our pears without wine. Its pears are poison. If pears are poison, then damned be the pear tree. If you cook them, Pears are an antidote, but uncooked, they are a poison. Raw, they aggravate the stomach. Cooked, pears relieve the aggravation. After the pear, drink wine. After the apple, empty your bowels. Really, really nice poetry. Um, and <laughs> it's just kind of interesting, like these like, extreme, extreme, like exaggerations of like the way that food interacts with like the physical body with and without wine. So um, I also agree that adding wine to certain foods makes them go from poison to being very, very good for you. Um, so you know, I never had that. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I, just, I never had that metric before. <laughs> and now I guess I'll have to think about it. Yeah. Well, thanks to uh, these wonderful. Actually, I didn't put the year on this. This is like super, super old. Um and it's very like, again, like much more to do with health than like the sensory connections between like wine and food. Um, but again, like an early indication that food and wine pairings had significance beyond like just taste and some of those like patterns in relation to like physical health and well-being are kind of continued throughout the years into like more contemporary, more like sensory type of like of, of connections and pairings. Um, another interesting, um, one was during the, the Renaissance, uh, the first kind of gastronomic text made their appearance. So in 1570, Domenico Romoli, known as Panunto, wrote what's called the, the Singular Doctrine. And it's this kind of like encyclopedia in 13 different volumes concerning all, aspe concerning all aspects of gastronomic art. So this is one of the first ones where you could find um, uh indications of like a real like more sensory pairing between food and wine um, but I, I could not actually find a copy of this text in translation or not so I don't have any great fun quotes for you but but fear not I do have good ones from the next one which is from 1581 in a book by uh, a, a German uh, chef named Marx Rumpel called a new cookbook or a new cookbook and it is the first written account of a specified food and wine pairing presented when laying out uh, specific courses. So in the book, he gives all these different recipes based on like courses and then gives examples of how different courses could be presented within the multiple like meals together, and then suggests um, different wine pairings with them. So for example, he says, young goose cooked with blood in the Hungarian way, a yellow aspic made from an old hen, a large piece of beef and also cold white peas with a Malvasier wine. Um, so again, kind of laying out uh, wine specifically with food. I will also say that this uh, this translation here is an amateur translation. I could only find the original text in German. Um, so this was someone's like master's thesis project on academia.edu, giving a very rough like amateur translation. So. Um, Possibly things are not perfectly translated here, but he goes on to say, and one calls this Hungarian roast because the Hungarians and Polish enjoy eating it. And in these lands, one must eat much with garlic and onion, and it tastes well with a good 
drink of Hungarian wine. Um, it's still kind of using wine largely as a cooking ingredient, not just kind of as a separate like food pairing. Um, but he says things like uh, wine used in moderation makes lively and refreshes the natural heat, digests the food, drives all excesses into the stools, cleans the nature of all evil vapors and uncleanliness, and cures cholera, um, ennobles the blood, strengthens the brain, clears the eyes, sharpens the senses and reason of men, and makes fair, clear color. Um, again, I just really agree with the sentiment here, and I love the way it's like laid out. This <laughs> is like very like grandiose like health terms. There's also a really funny part of this that I found that was like this explanation. So the the second like half of this cookbook is also like the the recipe, if you will, for making wine itself. So he talks about how to like grow and pick and like ferment and and like age the different wines. There's this part where he's basically explaining how to like repair stale wine. And he says, mm -hmm. take a cup of the spoiled wine and the quarter part as much salt. Boil it well in a new pot, then skim it and pour it hot like this into the barrel. Stand over it stirring and soon it will like ferment. Then hang lead or tin in it and the wine will be fresh. And then there was a funny like translation note from this amateur like translator saying, I hope I don't need to say this, but do not put lead in your wine, even for the sake of authenticity. Uh, I thought that was like really funny. Um, and just, just like these different like ways of like even like treating wine, um, where it's like so, so different than anything that you would ever imagine doing to wine now, like boiling it, putting in salt and things like that. It just sounds Sounds terrible, but it must have, I don't know, worked for whatever purposes they needed it then for, for different preservation or lack of preservation technologies and things like that. Um, the next text I wanted to mention was going way, way forward to 1967 um, in a relatively influential book by um, this guy named Raymond Dumai, um, who codified in his book called The, the Guide to Wine, uh, the Ten Commandments of of like wine, and Raymond Dumai actually was was originally um, a novelist writing literature, but then somehow realized he hated it or probably wasn't really that good at it, and started just writing guides like nonfiction guides. So he wrote like a guide to the garden, a guide to alcohol, and this one is actually the guide to wine, which became his most famous guide and perhaps the most useful. But his his Ten Commandments were. No great liquor wine, be it white or red, must be served with game. The residual sugar of the wine, in fact, would make the wild taste of the meat disgusting. Mm. I'm not sure I quite agree with that, but um, number two is no great red wine should be served with fish, crustaceans, or mollusks, unless light structure red wines are served, and above all, by the very limited content of tannins with a sauce based on red wine. That one's actually kind of, that's pretty well, uh, well held up the, the kind of white wine and seafood rule, if you will, which is, you know, absolutely not a rule. And even here he's given an exception. Like if the sauce of the fish is a darker, like red, you then you can use, you can pair it with red wine. Um, dry white wines must be served before red wines, although there are some exceptions depending on the combination proposed with food. Number four, light wines must be served before robust ones. Number five, Fresh wines must be served before those at room temperature. Uh, this indication also applies to white wines with marked acidity. Number six, the wines must be served according to growing alcohol content so that the wine being drunk does not regret the previous one. Good rule. Um, number seven, each dish must, must, be must be paired with its own wine. This means that the choice of the type of wine for a given preparation must be made with care and in perfect harmony with the organo organoleptic sensations of both. Furthermore, if you have only a few wines, it is advisable to serve a few dishes. Uh, <laughs> this must have been a, a relatively uh, wealthy dude and had some really crazy dinner parties with like 16 courses and 16 appropriately paired wines. Uh, number eight is we must serve the wines in their best season, not only from the climatic point of view, but also from the evolutionary one. Uh, number nine is advisable to separate each wine with a sip of water. 
as long as it has the appropriate characteristics in order to stimulate a real harmonization between food, wine, and water. And number 10, never serve one big wine on important occasions. There must always be the accompaniment of a wine of the same rank or category. Um, wow. Yeah. So a lot to kind of unpack there. Um, but A, it's interesting to kind of see um, more of like a, a codification of kind of the, the basic assumptions in like food and wine pairings and like many things in the wine world. Um, it's super classist. Um, it very much comes out of a very like specific like tradition and class where like wine at this time was very much associated um, even though it's a little bit more more relaxed now. And of course, we've mentioned in so many episodes this relationship between like class and wine and stuff. And that goes into like food pairings too and sort of assumptions of there are there are rules, but they're not necessarily like written and rules for you and me. Like if you know them, you know them and you should just know because that's what fancy people know. Um, and always don't ever serve one nice wine if there's not more nice wines to have next to it because obviously that's what people do. Um, so I just kind of wanted to go through a couple of those kind of interesting um, ways of thinking about wine. Again, just really thinking about it not just in terms of, uh, of sensory stuff, but kind of the history of where it relates to uh, more like biological like physicalities. Um, and then again, just keeping in mind that th the way that we think about like food and wine pairings comes from somewhere, comes from a tradition that often, like many things in the wine world, um, is of a specific like race, class, and all the things that we can unpack about where where the yeah where wine rules kind of come from. So, no, thank you for that. It's you know honestly, I never <laughs> thought very seriously about food wine pairings before diving into this research. If anything, I. And it was just like a very spontaneous thing. Like, obviously there were some, some thought to it, but I never really had like a metric for thinking about it. But um, what your list kind of brings up for me and what I will speak about in this next part is, you know, even if it's coming from this more classist position or history, um, my approach to wine pairings going forward um is like so grounds based like even based on like how I think about particular scents and spices or you know the um the underlying flavors of a particular cheese like it just seems so far removed from this like very wealthy rank and category <laughs> style kind of pairing. So anyway, let me dive into what I'll be speaking about, which is just kind of a nitty gritty, super basic, very, um, like I think down to earth kind of way of pairing food and wine. And so I need to give a shout out that is 100% or like 5,000% emphasize to Wine Folly for their phenomenal research. I looked at several of their guides um, to kind of put together this portion, as well as a couple of other websites like Food and Wine Magazine, uh, and then like some really random blogs, like The Dark Art of Pairing Wine and Food, which <laughs> um, <laughs> I just thought was funny. <laughs> and then like crazy food pairings, which I just think was also kind of interesting um but ultimately wine folly was who i followed so jumping right in um the one of the guides they provide like has nine tips for pairing wine and food and i'm just kind of kind of glance over them because i think it makes more sense in the deep dive so there were suggestions like thinking about the acidity or sweetness or bitterness of a wine in comparison to similar tastes in food. And, you know, the kind of, I think in every example, um, you should have a more acidic or sweeter wine than the food that you're serving, which kind of makes sense. Like, I don't know what food would be like more acidic than a 
like a Pinot Grigio, for example. I mean, maybe some salad dressings, but I can get why you wouldn't want a more acidic food than the wine you are serving. Um, it also had something very similar to one of your suggestions, which was uh, matching the wine with the sauce rather than the meat, which I saw in a couple of guides. And it makes perfect sense because you're probably predominantly going to get the flavor of the sauce rather than what it's kind of masking or, or accompanying in terms of meat, or if you have a salad dressing or a pasta sauce. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it was one of those light bulb moments for me. Um, and then in this nine tips, um, wine folly introduces like there are two main categories for pairing wines with food, which is congruent and contrasting or complementary pairings. So let's, let's go into this. So a congruent pairing is a pairing that magnifies the flavor of the wine and the food. So they're very similar. They're like, like pairings and an example that was thrown around a lot, which is like a great example is like mac and cheese with like a Viognier or a Chardonnay because the creaminess of the mac and cheese is congruent in its taste profile with like a creamy Chardonnay or a creamy Viognier. Whereas a complementary tasting is something that contrasts the different flavors and provides the entirety of the meal. So wine and food with a balance. And so when you're doing a complementary pairing, you're really thinking about, you know, what flavor profiles does this food have and how can contrasting flavors like bring out um, this full spectrum of, of taste sensation. Uh, so an example in terms of food contrasting pairings would be lime and coconut. And one can imagine something like a... Um, Oh, I did not put an example of this, but I, I'd imagine something like um, an ice cream with like a port would be a contra. Oh, those are both sweet. Um, anyway, I'm sure I have examples later. My mind is now blank with all of the examples, but essentially complimentary contrasting tastings. Um, and so this actually really reminded me of the book and television series, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Uh, by Samin Nosrat, which I believe we spoke about in episode like way long ago. Um, but essentially kind of bringing out these flavor profiles, Wine Folly talked a lot about these six flavors that are the baseline for food and wine, or mostly for food, uh, and that we can complement with wine, which is, you know, salt, fat, acid, spiciness, or piquant, um, bitterness, and sweetness. And what this kind of comes out as in food is either in the aroma, obviously the taste, and you can kind of trace that through chemical compounds. And so a lot of the guides that Wine Folly has on their website, uh, particularly as I'll discuss in a little bit, the herb and spice guide is based on like these similar compounds in food um, that you can then find in wine. And a, a great example was like, um, pepper. So like a particular pepper, I think it was like, uh, retuned or something. I'm not pronouncing it correctly is found in, um, I think it was Zin and like black pepper. And so any foods that can, that have that kind of pepperiness to it would go well with the Zin because of that compound being matching. So understanding like this kind of got me to thinking about like, you know, how do we understand like what we like in foods? So like, especially if you're cooking for yourself, if you're going out to a restaurant, you know, it's, it's could be like a fun game to think like, okay, what kind of foods do I like? What kind of flavor categories do they fall into? And then do I want a wine that complements it? Um, or do I want some, a wine that will be congruent with it? And as a way to think about like what wines go best with that, there's a breakdown in the care category, the flavor categorizations of wine. So in red wines, you often get a lot more of a bitter taste because of the amount of tannins um, you find 
you typically find in red wines. And of course, these are generalizable categories. There are tons of exceptions, as we talked about, with like these more offbeat varietals. Um, but this is more of like if you're approaching a restaurant wine list, you're, you're typically not going to get something too funky. Um, so anyway, red wines typically have that more bitter, and they do often have a complement of like acid and sweet, but to lesser extents. Whereas your rosés, whites, and sparkling wines are definitely going to err on the side of more acidity, um, though you'll get sweet notes and often sometimes bitter notes, again, depending on the varietal. And then if you have a sweet wine, you are, of course, getting sweetness, um, but then you'll also get a little bit of a play of acid and some bitterness. And so it's, it's these three flavors that are in different levels in these three different categories of wine. And so you really need to think, you know, okay, if I'm having something that is fatty or salty or spicy, what ways can I like match these flavors um, in a way that is fun <laughs> and desirable? So um, two kind of examples of this are these guides to herb and spice pairings. And then of course, the ultimate cheese and wine pairing. So I really like the idea of thinking about herbs and spices because like, I cook and Kev, I know you cook and, you know, spices are something that like I, when I moved back to DC, my spices were in a box that had not yet arrived to my house. And it was like an excruciating three weeks waiting for this box to arrive because spices are life. Um, and so a lot of the ways in which Wine Folly was describing a proper herb and spice pairing is thinking about the aromas and kind of going with this congruent or like-to-like method. And so they have this really awesome, beautiful color-coded guide that breaks down spices into these groups of like flavor and then pairs them with wines. So my favorite example was the herb group of sage, rosemary, fir, lavender, and bay leaf, which was described under the umbrella dried resinous floral herbs. And then there's this color coding of what wines would go best with it. So for sage, they list Riesling, Viognier, and Marsala. For rosemary, they have Shiraz, Zinfandel, Carignan. For lavender, there's Monastral, Rosé, and Grewurz. Um, mm, mm. Gewurztraminer. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> why didn't you, why weren't you able to translate that German document then? Obviously, you're proficient. I can only I can only translate uh, German names for wine. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's fine. <laughs> that's useful for the context of this <laughs> podcast. True. <laughs> um, for bay leaf, there's um, Syrah and uh, Nebilio, <laughs> and fir is Tempranillo and Sangiovese. So it was just like really fun to kind of think about like, what are these groupings of herbs? What kind of wine um, based from like sparkling to sparkling light red whites to like full bodied reds and sweet wines and how they kind of meld with these different herbs. So I really like that. Uh, and it made me think a lot about, you know, like, what am I going to cook? You know, like if I made a curry, what herbs am I using and how can I kind of complement the wines I have served with that? Because I feel like I would just be really intimidated to serve a wine with a curry just because of the complexity of flavor. And then yes, cheese and wine, what we usually think about with like the beautiful food wine pairings. And there is such a phenomenal world to this. I am not going to do any justice. So I'm just going to give the barest of bare bones. But again, Wine Folly has like this massive guide to food and wine pairings. And it's, or excuse me, um, cheese and wine pairings in particular. And it's a lot of fun to think with the challenges of like, what does of hard and, you know, more mellow, possibly flavored cheese, like a Manchego pair with. So things to think about when you're pairing cheese is boldness. Because 
you know, a very bold wine or a very bold cheese can, you know, easily overwhelm the other. You really want to take this congruency approach and think, you know, intensive intensity of flavor. How can you get a balance in, in thinking about equal intensity? Um, and one of the ways to think about, you know, balancing intensity is also not only in terms of flavor, but in terms of texture. So if you have like a super intense wine, you want a cheese that is a little bit more porous, so possibly a little bit softer, so that the wine is absorbed by the cheese. And like, I never really thought about consistency of cheese before. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but it just adds another layer of like thinking, okay, I can have a super intense cheese with like a more bold red wine, for example. And if it's a little bit porous, it will just kind of mellow each other out a little bit better. Um, one of my favorite like lines in this guide was also like matching funky wines with funky cheeses, which just like opens up a world I cannot wait to explore. I love funky wines and I cannot wait to think about all the funky cheeses you'd match it with. Um, one of the tips that I'd love to like almost take as a challenge and they had a, a line at the end of it was like how it's a lot easier to match white wines because it has less like fewer if not any tannins and so white wines are just like a little bit easier to play around with when you're matching with cheeses and so one of the ways to kind of start developing a sense of how to match cheese to wine is like pick your favorite white wine and they suggested like buying like half a dozen cheeses of different sorts and seeing which ones worked best with that wine that you had which I think is just sounds like a lot of fun and a great way to spend like a Saturday or Sunday. And then also just like in general thinking about the flavor of the cheese, you want to break it down into those categories, like those flavor categorizations. So if you have a cheese that's more nutty, um, it may fall into like the sweet or fatty category. Um, and that then you think, okay, do I want to pair it? with something that complements it, like a light bodied red, or do I want something that's congruent with it, like a Viognier or a Chard to bring out that creaminess. And then of course, last but not least, blue cheese lovers, they didn't forget you. Uh, like us all blue cheese fanatics, it's very difficult to pair with wine because it's just so overpowering. So they suggested going with port because the intensity of the cheese and its stinkiness, um, since port, it is in that red body or red wine category, um, but with softened tannins due to the aging and softened acidity, it actually balances out the creaminess of the cheese with, and like the stinkiness with this like slightly sweeter softened tannin. So you get this balance of flavor across the different flavors of the wine and the cheese um, and make it like an awesome experience. So, um, yeah, those are my, those are the tips I've accrued. <laughs> I always just like eat the blue cheese last because it just wrecks whatever wine I'm drinking. I never thought about pairing it with like a port or something a little bit more, um, appropriate to the characteristics. That's, that's a great suggestion. Especially since like you're still appreciating ports. And so this might actually also you know, open up the world of port to you. Maybe I like ports more with blue cheese. Blue cheese is amazing in reasonable quantity. <laughs> what, you don't have a whole wedge to yourself? <laughs> it is a lot. One, yeah, one thing yeah. that I was thinking with some of these rules um, that kind of came up a lot was in terms of food pairings. Um, this is kind of like a an easy tip when you don't really know where to go. Um, is pairing certain like regional foods with wines grown in that region. I was thinking that in like the first one, like the wine should be more acidic than the food. The very easy kind of classic example is in Italy. Um, a lot of the food is very, very heavily tomato based. Um, tomatoes being very, very acidic in terms of food. And it's no coincidence then that a lot of Italian wines are also extremely acidic um, to the point that if you're not really familiar with a lot of Italian wines, you actually might not really like drinking Italian wines on their own um, and that they really, mm -hmm. they really do complement Italian cuisine. 
which kind of happened naturally, right? The grapes are indigenous to different parts of Italy. The ingredients being made in the food are indigenous to the same parts of Italy. This is true not just with the city, but like herb pairings and as well, and kind of thinking about what makes sense. Um, at least when, when eating food that is commonly consumed in wine growing parts of the world, which is not a lot of the world, but it's, it's a good amount. Um, that's just kind of an easy way to think about things too, because there tends to be kind of a natural synergy between, um, regional cuisines and the, the, the grapes in which that region is, is largely growing. Yeah, I I believe I remember actually reading something complimentary to that in the um in thinking about you know wines that you may enjoy as like a challenge to also think, you know, like if you're in Chardonnay country, but you're you know, like we've talked about before, Chardonnays have so many different profiles depending on where it's grown and you know how it's um like what techniques are used, what kind of oak is used. And so thinking also about like, well, maybe if it's in like a particular region that may help to also kind of point you to the food. So very complimentary to what you said. Yeah. Um, I mean like, like pizza and Sangiovese or, you know, mm-hmm. mussels and like a, a French, like white Loire or something or, you know, like Nando's and a Pinotage. I don't know, these things might like naturally kind of go together just by by default of kind of the, yeah, the foods and then the herbs and spices and things represented in the food itself um, from those areas. Yeah. Any other things that came to mind? Um, I was just thinking with, uh, with the spice one too, that one way to also kind of make yourself more familiar with different types of common pairings and things that you personally like. Um, if you live in a place with where wine is grown, a lot of wineries do food pairings um, and like food pairing events when it's not like a regular thing, especially with like, you know, cheese and charcuterie and kind of classic, you know, upscale winery types of, of stuff. Uh, but also even in like in Napa, there's a place I've not been to, but it's been on my list. Um, that does like a, a bacon and cab pairing. And, you know, my, my guess is that the bacon being kind of cured and like spiced and herb differently is going to work a little bit differently with different types of cabs from the different uh, kind of altitudes and regions of like Napa as well. So um, that's also going to be kind of a great place to get acquainted. And of course, if you're doing a wine and food pairing at a winery, you can ask them to like justify their pairings, like ask them tons of questions and learn about kind of why they're doing things um, certain ways too. Sounds like also a really great way to get to know your local wineries. So that's sounds like a win-win all around. Yeah. It's also great when like a small winery, like partners with like a small, like cheese producer or food producer does like a pop-up, like food and wine pairing too. Could, could be expensive, but it might be worth it if you have some (laughs) spare money. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, no, it was it was fun thinking about this. I definitely enjoy obviously food. Food is life, but um it's like fun to think about food and through the lens of wine in a way. Um and so yeah, I'm like actually really excited to host a bunch of people and like buy a bunch of cheeses and, <laughs> and try to do these pairings yeah. myself. Another cool kind of resource I found um, just by like browsing for, for, the, for this episode was a website called matchingfoodandwine.com. Very creative title, I know. Um, but it's, it's kind of a tool where you can, yeah, like match wine and food from general like uh, professional suggestions. And you can either enter the wine and it'll bring up like food options or enter the food and it'll bring up wine options far from like a complete resource it's it's not exhaustive by any means but it might be a good place to start to when you're just sort of like lacking ideas of kind of where to go with certain things it's made by a, a food and wine writer named fiona beckett i don't know too much about her but i did browse the website and some of the suggestions were actually pretty cool um so just another cool cool resource to throw out there when uh, you're looking for support and, and finding the right the right food and wine pairing that sounds great um 
Yeah. I, <laughs> if one in doubt, um, you know, you never know if you try it out, probably your intuitions, if you've, you know, been around food or had to pair, you know, courses will, will come in handy. Um, I did forget to mention the like fun, other like difficult food pairing bits. And I'm not going to really go into it, but like, there's just like two websites that had like fun challenges. Like what wine would you pair with artichokes? <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I would ever think about artichokes as a food one pairs with. Um, but the, the site, which is into wine.com pretty, you know, approachable spoke about like thinking about, uh, the, uh, like the, what was it? They said a cool white with relatively low alcohol is like a good way to like balance the flavor of an artichoke. Um, whereas like you're about hummus, you know, hummus is really well paired with like Pinot Grigio or Pinot Noir because of like the lightness and flavor and the nuttiness of the, um, hummus. Uh, so I thought this was fun, like challenges. Another one was like mushrooms <laughs> and like, what would you pair with that? Um, which has like an earthier, like depending on the mushroom, you know, it has that earthy flavor. So you really want to go with something that's like an earthier wine, like a Cap Franc, um, or even like a Syrah. Mm, move in. A side pair with yeah. mushrooms. I would absolutely pair yeah. with mushrooms, super earthy, kind of dirty, funky. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then on the complete opposite schedule or like spectrum is like junk food and wine pairings, which there were some great ones from Wine Folly, like chocolate chip fudge brownies with ruby port or churros with, um, what is it? Pedro Jimenez, which looks like it's a Spanish wine and it's often like a sweet kind of cinnamon coffee spice. Um, or let's see jalapeno peppers with Riesling. <laughs> uh, so anyway, there's some really fun ones on this one as well. So you might as well play around with, with your pairing. What are some of, what are some of your, uh, your personal favorite pairings? So if I haven't mentioned this on this podcast, which would be absolutely crazy, um, but I love French fries and I love champagne. Um, so one of my favorite pairings is actually champagne, French fries and hummus. I love French fries with hummus and like you put a little cayenne pepper on it and it's like amazing, maybe a little parm cheese. Mm. So that's my absolute like be all and end all favorite. Yes. But I also... Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also like ice cream. So like if I was to do even like a, a slightly complex ice cream with like a Pinot Noir would be really great. Um, just because of balancing the creaminess with a, a little bit more of like a, a light bodied um, or even like a, a bit of a, like an acidic wine would be good. And then hmm, I've been really into, I mean, I've, I love um, mac and cheese. And I think I've always paired it with like a Sauv Blanc or like a, a Pinot Grigio just because of the acidity to balance it out. But this guide was talking about pairing it with a Viognier and now I need to buy Viognier and make mac and cheese to just try it out. It sounds amazing. Hmm. <laughs> How about you? What are your favorite food pairings? Yeah. So my, my, I actually had a hard time thinking of this. I don't know. You know, I have almost every meal with wine. Um, but I guess some of my, my kind of common go-tos are um, sushi and an unoaked shard, um, <laughs> which is probably, a, I guess what you call it, a, a congruent, like, pairing. I'm thinking, because I eat, like, sushi, like, a, a nice, like, oily, buttery mackerel. And you have kind of, like, the creamy, like, shard that kind of just really go together for me, even though a lot of places will say, like, seafood and like sushi you could maybe go with a more like crisp acidic type of a white uh, like a sauvignon blanc or something but i think an unoaked shard is a wonderful pairing a chablis if you can afford it 
Um, I really like Ethiopian food and Pinot Blanc, uh, which is very mm. like contrasting, complementary type of a pairing. Ethiopian food being like very, very spicy, um, not just in like heat, but in like flavor. Um, and Pinot Blanc is often a little bit sweet, but also has a little bit more like body and cream to it. It just goes really, really well with, with Ethiopian food. Um, even though I guess the right answer is, uh, is the honey wine that people get at Ethiopian restaurants, which, uh, I don't know if we've mentioned honey wine on a, this podcast yet, but. Um, I asked my girlfriend and she actually said, uh, popcorn and Pinot was her favorite, like snack, uh, pairing. I like that one. Um, I also, as you were talking earlier, I thought of this one and it's, uh, Retsina and chicken souvlaki. So I also don't know if we've hmm. mentioned Retsina on this podcast. You may or not be familiar with it. It's not super common, but once you see it, you'll, you'll see it around. Um, Retsina is a, a Greek white wine. It can be made with a couple of different types of um, indigenous Greek white grapes, uh, but it's aged in pine nuts. And the story I was always told, which I have absolutely never Googled or fact-checked, so I could be completely making things up here, but the story I was always told from my mom was that um, Retsina was made by the Greeks and aged in pine nuts, so it has a very, it's, it's spicy, it's uh, bitter, it's it's kind of gross if you don't know what you're getting. Like if you thought this was just like a wine, you would absolutely spit it out and be horrified at the prospect. If you know what you're getting, it's definitely not everyone's taste. But the idea was that the Greeks aged this in pine nuts so that it wouldn't be stolen by the Romans because it was so like nasty that they wouldn't like steal their stuff. Again, I have no idea if that's true. Just complete like urban legend. Um, but Retsina goes really, really great with chicken souvlaki. Chicken souvlaki is kind of cooked and grilled with kind of moderate herbs, uh, like oregano and stuff like on the outside, but it's not like super overwhelming. So it actually really, the, the spices are slightly different, but really complement the Retsina. It's a really, really fun pairing. And actually Retsina also goes great with garlic fries. Um, so, so good. And also, you were mentioning artichoke, and my first thought was Roussan. And hmm. I just think, like, the again, like the textures kind of complement each other. Um, you wouldn't want anything too sweet in a white with an artichoke, maybe, but the Roussan's a little bit more, like, level or more more creamy than it's not, not a very sweet wine at all. Um, and also because I was editing the podcast before uh, that we did last time, uh, and I mentioned Roussan and said I was mentioning Roussan every episode. I want to keep that that trend going by mentioning Roussan again every episode. Best white grape. Go try it. It's definitely a grape. Excellent. I love the trend. <laughs> but, uh, but, I actually don't like jokes. I don't know why that was my example. <laughs> I'm not the biggest artichoke fan. Uh, I've liked them more and more, but I used to hate them. But also my, my parents used to serve them with mayonnaise. Like you just dip it in mayonnaise. I thought it was disgusting. Yeah, no, it's just, it's not my, mm -hmm. not my food of choice, but I love Roussan. Yeah. So I guess I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to reevaluate. <laughs> yeah, I have not tried that, by the way. I just, I thought of that when you were saying it. I should also mention, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm drinking um, a GSM today um, during this podcast. And the reason I actually chose this GSM is because I find GSM to be the easiest wine to pair with food of all like of all red wines if you don't know what you're doing you're not quite sure where to go gsm works with so many things so well i actually don't know if we've really talked about gsms on this podcast i'm going to give a kind of a very brief like mention uh, but gsm stands for grenache syrah nouvelle the three typical grapes it's a southern rhone style so in in france it's a very common like red blend and each of these three grapes has very different characteristics, but together it's basically the cheat code of wine. Uh, that's why some of the best, like really inexpensive wines, like if you get like go to Trader Joe's, spend four or five dollars on a GSM, it's gonna work. It really is just a magical combination. And sometimes you'll see them um, like, usually it's Grenache is being the, uh, the, the most dominant grape than Syrah and Mouved followed. Sometimes it's inverted. Sometimes there's like a GSMC with like a Sanso or like, there's no, like, they could be like different things to it, but they're all kind of referred to as GSMs. And this one I'm drinking actually is, 
Uh, it's a red round wine by Domaine Brunelli called uh, Gigonda Trésor. And it is 80% Grenache, 20% Mouvedge. It's actually not even Syrah in here. Again, different kind of combinations. But the way the three grapes interact kind of gives you the best of the three different spectrums of red wine, right? From like spice to body to oak to everything. So, and it's it's not too heavy. Um, they tend to be a little bit like more medium bodied um, and just really go great with so many things. I don't even know where to start with how great like GSMs can be paired with things. So it's another kind of like easy, easy tip if you're not quite sure what to do and you just, you know it's gonna go well with the red, but you're not quite sure what red, GSM is probably a good choice because it's probably gonna have something in there in a very like complex characteristic that's gonna have either complement or contrast whatever you're cooking in a way that just kind of makes it work. Even if it's not the ideal pairing, it's just a great start. Thank you. That we should probably do an episode on GSMs um, yeah, or something. Okay. Um, so what I'm drinking right now is actually a white blend. So I wanted something a little bit light. And um, even though it's kind of cold outside, the um, all of my potential dinner choices, I guess this is appropriately paired, are uh, <laughs> going to be veggie-based um, and probably sauteed. So I wanted a white that would complement that. And so I am drinking uh, raw which is really awesome wine uh, and their stick is that they're organic and vegan. And so this white blend is uh, Verdejo and Ariane, which is um, a varietal grown in uh, Spain on La Mancha um, and a Sauvignon Blanc. And it's been aged seven months in stainless steel tanks. Ooh, um, that sounds delicious. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> that's a cool blend. So it's also I'm gonna cheat. Oh, go ahead. Sorry to say that's a very cool blend. It's really it's a lot of fun. It's also going to be because I'm cheating a little bit with my wine of the week. Um, because going forward, this is probably gonna be the the wine I will drink for the rest of the week. But it's um I it, it's like so refreshing. You have that minerality, you have that citrus, and then you also get like, um, it's not, it's not floral or sorry, it's not, uh, uh, fruity, but it has like those little light fruit notes that you get from like the soft blanc, um, and like the Ariane, which like typically has like that, like grapefruit citrus notes. And so it's just super easy drinking and, you know, pretty much like I, I love Verdejosm, so it's like really fun to match, like to pair those all together. And it's, you know, just I like it's gonna taste great with grilled vegetables. Like it's it it should complement the spices and and um crispness mm -hmm. really well. So I yeah, that's both what I'm drinking and my wine of the week. Great. I guess I'll throw in my my wine of the week here at the end too. Um and that is a, it was a, the, from a winery called Luna Beberide, and it was a 2019 Mencia. And I don't think I've talked about Mencias. Maybe I've mentioned Mencias. Um, but this is an under $10 wine. Um, and Mencia is a wonderful, wonderful Spanish grape um, that is, not super common in Spain. I mean, it's, it's, it's found, but it's not like one of the more common ones. Um, and export, it's very, very hard to find. Um, there's probably less than 20 in the United States. And I think I've tried at hmm. least 10 of them. Um, but it's this really cool grape. It's, it's super, super earthy. Actually, kind of, we were, I was talking about a, a Mouved that's also very earthy. Mincy is earthy in a very similar way. It kind of tastes like, as this sort of like wet earth, this wet soil thing going on with it. Um, it's very kind of spicy and aromatic. It's medium to light bodied, which is pretty uncommon for a Spanish red. So it's a little bit different. Um, and just a really, really fun Spanish grape. If you're trying to try something from Spain, that's not your typical like Tempranillo, 
uh, or that kind of thing, which is, is also fantastic, of course. But um, yeah, just kind of a fun little different line. I wanted to give them a quick shout out just again because it was so, so affordable um, and really, really cool and really, really fun to try. Um, yeah, that's my wine of the week. Oh, man, that sounds really good. I really do miss wine tasting. So I'll have to get out there now that it's getting towards redeemable weather. And I love the winter, but just um, it's been cold. (laughs) So I'm excited for it to be a little bit warmer out and to like be able to go out and explore the wine world of the East Coast. Um, yeah. Do you have any, any I, good wine tasting plans on the East Coast? Or where would you want to go if, if you were? Well, I do. Um, so I had a wonderful adventure in Mount Pleasant, which is a neighborhood right near where I live in DC and they opened up there's um, and I think this will deserve a lot more attention. And so I'm only going to briefly mention it, but there's a new wine shop that opened called uh, Nido and I D O and it's primarily um, BIPOC queer wine producers. So all the wine comes from those winemakers and it's supposed to be super representative. And also, I, I want to say it it specializes in natural wines as well. So it's like wicked niche, but it looks, I did a wine tasting or not a wine tasting. I got a glass of wine of, from there last week and it was so good. It was um, a pet nat. Um, I think it was a Pinot Grigio. It was so fun. Um, and last week I unfortunately missed it, but they had a wine tasting from a Lebanese winemaker who, um, had two orange wines and like another kind of natural wine. So really, really cool. Um, and the, the owners are like awesome. So cannot wait to just like literally spend all of my time doing tastings. And I think they have tastings definitely every week um on typically on Fridays but then they'll have specialties tastings like the Lebanese wine taster on like other days so um looks like a, it'll be a cool space to hang out cool that sounds awesome how about you do you have a wine tasting lined up no gonna get to Ridge no uh <laughs> maybe I might I might be going to California for a conference over the summer in which case I will absolutely around my birthday too so hopefully I can squeeze in a a ridge trip, but no, uh, where, where, where I am, there's not a lot of, not a lot of great wines. Unfortunately, been to a couple of wineries here in the great state of North Carolina and they have been underwhelming at best. There's a couple actually pretty good ones. Um, maybe I'll talk more about them, um, in, in an upcoming episode, highlighting some different regions. There, there is, there is some pretty cool stuff and things being done a little bit differently, but, but generally it's, uh, it's not what I'm going for. Um, and I'm actually moving to Florida, um, where the wine scene there is, there is Floridian wine as I am learning. Um, and the, the folks I talked to about it, um, definitely had some comments about the, the wine being made in Florida. In fact, they had a bottle. I didn't try it, but, um, they, they said that they had a bottle of, a a Floridian wine um, called, and they called it Swamp Juice. Um, that was like oh. the, the name of the wine. Yeah, right. My reaction exactly. <laughs> like, well, you know, I would absolutely try it. I'd love to try it for like the fun of it, but I'm not going into this imagining that the this is going to, you know, rock my palate by any means. So uh, unfortunately, no, uh, no wine tasting trips scheduled coming up, but um Hopefully still be able to order things online. Still try to keep up with trying cool wines, getting mixed cases from random places. And um, yeah, just having wine tastings in my living room. Excellent. Uh, Well, now you can pair them with all of the foods as well. So um, 
Yeah, absolutely. And if, if you if anyone out there has, you know, cool, unique, uh, unexpected suggestions about wine pairings, find us on Instagram, send us a message or, or a comment. Um, we'd love to kind of hear what other cool stuff is out there that we haven't thought of. Yes, please. That would be great. Well, I think that's everything we have to talk about. This is a lot of fun. I love food and I love wine. Yeah, I, so. I have to say I'm now very hungry, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eat dinner. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna pair this GSM with uh, with some pizza, with mushrooms. Nice. Of course. <laughs> All right. We'll, All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.